Welcome to the Circle of Salt, the podcast where we use our snark to protect the occult community from itself and others. I'm Rune Emerson, and I don't sacrifice animals, only rude neighborhood children. I, you know, <laughs> when it comes to sacrifices, I usually just kind of like make some food, and then like I make enough food for the demon, and like I like give them some drink too, and then we're pretty much just square. Exactly, that's why children, plural, so you have enough food to go around. Yeah, I like, and I'm the one that works with demons, and it's all incredibly boring. I find that kind of funny. It is really funny. You are like the the least edgy fucking demon worker I've ever met. And I say this with the understanding that most of the demon workers I know are not demonologists or demonologists. They're just witches who have a penchant for demons. I mean, amongst the demon workers that I know, I'm like, like, I don't know, everybody who starts talking to me about working with demons are like, ah, oh, you're using it for like some sort of evil fiendish purpose. And I'm like, I, um... They're fun I'm to having talk a to. better time with my transition now. Right, they're fun. Um, they're fun, interesting. They're like way more fun friends. I I'm budgeting better with my money now. It's um, it's sort of like making friends with like punk band artists. Like everybody's like, oh, you're doing this for status. You're like, have you met punk band artists? No, they're just they're kind of cool people to talk to. And they just like you know. I don't know. The kind of goals I'm pursuing right now are the kind of goals that a 38-year-old pursues. It's very so, true. So, um, anyway, you know, like getting better health insurance. They've gotten, they've helped me got, get better health insurance. Anyway, we'll <laughs> keep on topic. But yes, we got the thingy. So, I feel um, like we're recording one of those SNL episodes with the porn stars who aren't porn stars anymore. <laughs> keep oh on topic. We're trying to get free stuff from Moe Shandon. Oh, shit. Um, yeah, for more information about us, visit circleofsaltpodcast.tumblr.com. And buy us free shit. Yeah. So, Rune, how was your day? <laughs> My day was kind of ridiculous, actually. It was not very, like, important, but it was kind of ridiculous. Omens everywhere, fucking signs everywhere, just kind of drama and all kinds of crap. That's rough. It's It was fine. I mean, I've been sitting here at home most of the day. It's just that it's like, oh, more shit. Okay, well... Do some warding against that. <laughs> so that's kind of it. What about you? Over here, I mean, it was pretty slow because yesterday, like, I kind of was running around the neighborhood a lot, got a haircut, and, like, haircuts exhaust me. Yeah, well, they're oh. exhausting. And by the way, your hair looks really cute. Oh, thank you. I didn't tell you earlier, but it really does. It was a long time since I'd gotten a cut due to various reasons. Like, it wasn't um, that long. Oh, well, it was okay. over a month. For and... you, it's that long. For me, it's not that long because I have long hair. I confirmed from my stylist that different parts of your head's hair grow at different rates. And so, like, some of my hair grows back, like, really fast, and it gets really bushy, like, really easily. So you get derp hair? I have to get it cut like monthly or faster than that to really keep it clean and if i don't then it just starts getting all bushy and stuff it looks like a shaggy topiary i don't really know i what just think it looks you look like. cute i i you know i have no objections i think you're adorable so whatever but but yeah i've gotta say like if you get your hair cut like i had to like get the right person to cut my hair because of like i can't have just anybody putting their hands around my head it's very true. So you've got you to get know. somebody you're kind of psychically comfortable with. Yeah, and people whose hygiene you approve of. Yes. 
Okay, so anyways, yeah. <laughs> that's probably enough about, about our weirdness about hair. Um, uh, now it's time for our first installment. Yeah. Affectionately called Hekhas Hekhas to say bullshit. Today's Dish of Salt is brought to you by both of us and is entitled Deserted at the Altar. But before I say anything about that, first of all, I personally want to apologize to all of you because we've recorded like two and a half episodes at this point, and mm-hmm. none of them have made it to air. And this is very frustrating to all of us. We're having technical issues. So don't be mean. Um, although none <laughs> yes, of you have please, been. thank you. None of you have been, but I'm going to say it anyway. Thank everybody. For, like, thanks to everybody for your patience. Right. Like, it's been – we've been working as hard as we can. We're trying. We really are. We haven't given up. We, we're – I swear to God – Anyways, but yeah, so deserted at the altar. Um, so here's our dish for today. Um, it's A L T A R, not A L T E R. And I bring this up because I actually saw a book. Like I actually saw a book where, that was published by a publisher, and the person clearly spent money to print these books because they were hardcover, and the. The, the spelling was just, oh my god, it was horrible. I'm like, there aren't three E's in jewelry. And uh. there isn't an E in altar when you're talking about the thing that you put all of your altar tools on. And I, you know what? And I have run into someone who has said, I spell it A-L-T-E-R because it's about change. And I'm like, no, shut up. You spell it A-L-T-E-R because you're too lazy to recognize the way that you're supposed to really spell it. And you decided to justify it instead of actually acknowledge you made a mistake. Don't start with me. I am not stupid. Oh, it just fucking, it lights me up. And I understand when people have spelling issues. I get that. Especially if they come from like really bad school districts. I come from a bad school district, so I get it. That is totally understandable. This is not me bitching at people who have English as a second language or who have very poor education environments. Please understand, I totally get you guys, and I don't come down on you. I come down on fucking privileged white folk who think that they're going to make a living doing the occult and then don't ever bother to learn how to spell! Their bad spelling is a life choice. I feel really bad right now, actually, because our um, our mysterious benefactor, the ominous shadow, is going to have to edit my voice really bad, because I'm just, like, screaming. <laughs> Sorry! We just put in happy tweeting birds over those parts. <laughs> right, audience? You've heard all the times we've done that. <laughs> Many times. Yeah. We, it's and, a tradition now. And we bleep out all of our bleeps. Just, we, yeah. like... All of the profanity is edited out. And that's, yeah, there's no fucking profanity in this show. Yeah, we have the podcast marked as explicit just in case... Um, it's just in case someone farts. Yeah. That's really why. That's right. <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, but anyway, so that's my issue. Um, please, if you are talking about a space that you use for veneration and magical work, and you call it an altar, it's A-L-T-A-R. And... I don't care if you're one over those people there who are like, well, I spell it differently because I do it differently. And you came to that, honestly. I don't care. Spell it the right way. You're going to make me crazy. Yeah, th- this is just like one of those using the correct word things. This, it, words mean things. 
If you're saying the word alter, it's spelled a certain way. <laughs> this is how we fetch words in the English language. The way that you fetch the word is you have to have the right spelling of it. And if you don't have the right spelling, and it's a spelling for a different word, it gets the other word. Well, and it, how it works. And it literally, to me, that thing is, like, it's funny that you said this is how we fetch English words, because all I can hear in my head is, stop trying to make fetch happen. It's never going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm just like, shut up. Oh, my God. Um, what about that? <laughs> the sad thing is I never managed to make it through Mean Girls, probably because I hated them, like, so quickly that I was just like, I'm meaner than you. This movie I didn't want to watch this thing. It was a bad thing. Um... But there was, there's a little bit of this is, um, it's, I, I just finished watching some of the Try Guys, and I was just talking to Felix about this earlier. I just finished watching some of the Try Guys videos, and Eugene is, has been my favorite character, for, or my favorite actor from that whole, like, thing. But he has a, a, a line of videos that he does called The Rank King, and his slogan from it is one that is very near and dear to my heart, especially as a, a co- producer of this of this podcast and his slogan literally is i'm right you're wrong shut up and i'm absolutely convinced that he is a genius and when he prints that on a t-shirt i'm going to have it like made i'm going to probably get it tattooed on my ass or something just i'm like seriously i try so hard not to be that guy but i am so tired of people taking advantage of the fact that i'm too polite to tell them that they're wrong so I'm not being polite anymore. Shut up. Anyway, how about you? What kind of dish do you have? Well, we were um, talking about altars, so. Okay, so first of all, <laughs> here it goes. I've had a lot of instructions either given to me or uh, that have come across my radar whenever I am in the Witcho blogosphere. Um, that are in relation to how you should build altars, and a lot of the instructions are wrong. Um, they're just for, wrong. There's okay, so there's this thing where people say that like, um, I don't know how much this is going to wander into discourse. By the way, so go I with it. We'll just like we'll just it. go yeah. with it. It's fine. Um, that if you've got a dedicated space for an entity or something like that then that's a shrine and if it's something that is doing magical work then you like you know just you build it for that work and then once the work is done you like clean it up um and that's an altar um and the problem is for one i i am pretty sure that's only for a certain discipline of magic i'm pretty Um, sure that's only for a certain interpretation of that discipline yeah, and so like you need to, whenever you have any kind of rule like that, that applies to the system it's a rule in. Um, rules don't just apply to the entire world all blanket like that. That's weird. Except spelling um, rules and spell your words right. God damn it. Well, spelling rules apply within like the system of the English language. You know, of whatever language you're dealing with. Yes. Yeah. Like if the the English spelling rules that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Um, and so, but you know, like. It works only within your system, so you can't just, like, say anybody and everybody who's, like, doing an altar, like, oh, well, if you're just having it lay out like that all the time, then it's not actually an altar, it's a shrine. It's like, you don't know how I do stuff. You don't know how I do magic. You don't know me. You don't pay my bills. My magic actually sits out a while. (laughs) Well, a lot of your magic has to do with, like, it's very, like... Chinese geomancy kind of style of like you arrange objects, sort of feng shui-ish, except they're, it's not feng shui. 
Yeah, it's not it's according to the system of feng, feng shui. Although demonology, I, maybe, or I don't know what it is. <laughs> it is its own sort of aesthetic sense. I've always sort of done things like yes. this, and I couldn't really tell you exactly what the weighting is, although I do have a lot of graphic design rules I know about. It's Felix Arcana. Yeah, it, it is the Felix Arcana. Like, everyone should develop their own aesthetic uh, rules for that become a system for how they uh, do this sort of thing, I feel, because... It's like it kind of encrypts all your stuff automatically. I should actually add in because of what he just said. I agree with that. I should add in with my spelling conversation. For those of you who actively use that term alter with an E as the term for your your alter with an A, which it should be the other way. The only thing that is ever going to make me forgive you and it will be given on a case by case basis only is if your shit works really well. And if I'm like, well, nope, that was an arrogant, pretentious thing to say, and they backed it up. Okay, I'll leave it alone. That is like the I only time. Misspelling usages like that work best within things like poetry, or if it's something within the system itself where it's always spelled like that, because otherwise you have no real cue for knowing why someone is basically misspelling the word. Right. Or creating portmanteaus that don't make sense to me. That is irrelevant. Like... In general, I am the ultimate authority of everything I find irritating. Like, I am the ultimate authority on that. And um, the my authority ends when you have disproved my ability to harass it by making it better than anything I could have comprehended. Whereupon I give you, you know, the, the kudos and the crown because you kick ass. And that is, I think, generally the rule with a lot of this. And it should be the rule. Um... Which And so that actually brings us back to the whole, like, alter setup thing. I get really, I don't know about you, but I get really frustrated when people tell you that there are certain ways that you're supposed to set up the altar, and those ways are always mapped to their paradigm, and if you don't set up the altar according to that map, they get mad at you, and then they tell you it won't work. I don't, yes. I don't care that they think it won't work, because it will. I get irritated when they think that they get to have an opinion about something that has nothing to do with them. I really get frustrated when people try to tell, like, newbie magicians, like, whenever you make a wealth altar, you have to have a green cloth underneath it. Right. And you need to have a gold cup. And they and haven't bothered like... to consult on what that person's color magic looks like. They're just like, hey, green is for money. Here you go. I you can... need to do this or it won't work. And it's like, but why? Like. Hey. If you do not have a specific system this is working within, you need to, even within that specific system, you need to give the reasoning why it won't work. Right. What, well, here's what's, a, what's causative about it? Here's this? a fun question. What if you're from Canada? Money isn't green in Canada. Ah, uh, yeah, that's right. Because, and money wasn't always green in the U.S. At one point it was brown. Right. So what the shit, Parker? Anyways, it just, it's stupid. It's fucking stupid to me. I just, I I look at people and I'm like, it would be better for you to learn the actual reasons why this stuff is going on and ask personal questions and help them that way. Don't teach, if you don't want to teach them the lore behind it and the reasons behind it, you don't have to. And it would be best for you not to say anything if there's too much to say and so you shorten it so much that it loses all meaning. Just help them instead. Rude. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So, so um, speaking of outside help, I wanted to bring up the subject of animal familiars interacting with your altar. Oh, you mean help, with quotation marks. Yes. <laughs> so, did you want to start with that? Well, considering it happened to me today. 
so I'm in the middle of hanging out with Felix and we're doing our, our normal date time thing. We, you know, we spend time together doing a date every week. And um, we're sitting there hanging out and da, da 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 And in the middle of it, my fucking cat jumps on my altar. They're not allowed on tables. And they know that. They've been raised since kittenhood knowing they are not allowed on tables. There are certain surfaces they're not allowed on. If we're going to eat off of it or if it's being used for sacred stuff that might be breakable, they're not allowed on it. And so there are only certain surfaces they're allowed on. Couches, chairs, their cat tree, whatever. That all is fine. But they're not allowed on anything breakable. And they know this, and he's like 10 years old at this point, and he knows this, and he jumped up there, he looked right at me and jumped up there. I was like, I am going to eat you for lunch. I was just so upset with this. I was just like, how Mm -hmm. rude. And then Felix was talking about some of that for himself as well. So, like, what's your take on on letting them on there? Because I'm like, it's got breakable shit. Get down. So um, there's some pl- parts of my house that the cats cannot access mm-hmm. and some parts that they can. And that means that I can choose to have altars in some of the parts that they can't even get to. Um, and then the altars that are in the spaces they can get to, right. I need to make sure to arrange in a certain way. Um, and I've had certain experiences by now. The thing is, like, um, I was moving a lot of things around at the same time that I first got these two. Um, my two familiars are... Um, Hawthorne and Holly, they are two uh, twin cats with a lot of mischief. They're so cute, and they're so funny. Yes, they're very, very funny. And whenever they first moved in, I decided to let them sort of explain to me what it is that they did and what it is that they would get into and what I could kind of trust them with. And then from there, I decided I would kind of kitten-proof against... I just sort of moved the goalposts as I went along. Right, you just let them kind of navigate it, which is the opposite of me. I'm an autocrat, and um, I don't let cats tell me how things go. Well, I basically like needed to know what it was that I needed to cat-proof against because, you know, I if they had... Like, for instance, they always eat plants, so I'm just not going to have plants in here. Right, we had to do some of that ourselves, mostly because we didn't want them to get sick. Yeah, it's just like, you know, that it, that's one of those battles that I don't really want to bother fighting. Right. Also, um, plants die around here, so that wasn't a hard one for us. I know that you actually like horticulture and growing things, but... I do like it, but, like, um... You know, less work. It's fine. Um... <laughs> <laughs> they also have a tendency to eat feathers, though, and so I've had to take down a couple of, um... Mm-hmm. Feather ornaments that were in places that were not... That were cat accessible, well, so... And isn't it yeah. isn't it really frustrating when, like, you have things that are toys for them, and they eat them? Mm-hmm. And you're like, that's not what that was for. And they eat it, and you're like, now I have to take you to the fucking vet, because that was full of string, and it might tangle in your bowel. God damn it. Ugh. Yeah, so far, like, they've been pretty well-behaved, but when it comes to the altars specifically, mm-hmm. these two... Um, these two motherfuckers. <laughs> at first I thought that they pretty much just didn't mess with altars, but then a couple of things went missing, and at first I thought it's because they thought it was cat toys for them and they wanted it. Like, um, an acorn went missing off of my altar that they could reach that was in the living room. And I was like, well, uh, fair enough, that seems like, you know, something they'd kind of want to play with. But, like, then, like, off of another altar that I had... Um, a champagne cork went missing. Hmm. And it's something I had put there recently, 
and like it kind of fell down and like I saw it was on the floor and I was like that's interesting it's like one of them tried to play with it and I decided to put it back up and then I saw the next day that it was down again and you know cuz they could they actually could carry things with in, in their mouths that are like pretty large sure. and like bring them across the room and hide them under the couch or something and so but they were leaving it right there underneath that's the altar on the floor like for me to find I'm like you know what I guess this means that they want to do maintenance on your altar it's y'all's right now yeah and so i just like just tossed it out to the cat space that's kind of further on in the living room and let them play with it right and then at some point they were done with it and i just kind of like tossed it out right well Um, and and so yeah like whenever they do that i notice that it's usually for a reason right at one point um the boys and i when we were setting up the house we had decided to talk about okay, what's an appropriate place for cats to sit? What's an appropriate place for cats to play? That kind of thing. And one of the things that, because Roy is actually, that's the cat that was up on my altar today. Roy is actually Mike's familiar, one of my husbands. Um, He's Mike's familiar. And so he had brought up the fact that he just kind of let Roy go where he wanted to go and just was chill about it. And I'm over here like, that's not going to fly for me because we leave shit all over and it's all going to get broken or lost. But um, one of the points that got brought up was this idea of creating little perches near an altar so that the cat can see what's on the altar and be a part of it, even if they're not allowed to be up there. And, you know, we never got around to doing that, mostly because those kinds of cat trees are expensive. Um, But I have to say that, like, Ronan often, when he was alive, that was my familiar... Um, my animal familiar. I only have ever had one animal familiar. All the others are inanimate objects or just spirits or something. Um, but he he was very diligent about watching my magical space. Like, he could see from the couch to the table, the coffee table where I do a lot of my work. And if something was going wrong, like, I would know about it because he'd bolt out of the room and try to get my attention. Like, if I'm in the other room, there's a candle burning and it's starting to tip over. He'd bolt out of the room to, like, get my attention. So, I don't know. Maybe the familiars are trying to help you take care of your space. Maybe they're like, the offering's done, get rid of it. They are. They are often telling me that, like, you know, something needs to be, you know, that this doesn't really need to be up there is often the comment. Right. Um, and they're they're very good at, at their contributions in... Um, it's it's very interesting to see what I can put out on this altar that they really don't go out and, and try to play with, even though it's stuff that if it were anywhere else, they'd try to play with. Right. And maybe that's what it is. Um, Some anyway. of the space I just make sure to like set up in a way that it's very hard for them to actually jump on it to get to anything else. Right. Um, so a, the, the, the altars that I have that are in cat-accessible spaces are built to where they're not really convenient cat spaces. <laughs> right. Which is good. That's a smart yeah. way to do it. Um, Otherwise, I don't think it works. I tend to be more active. I tend to be like, get down from there and like drag them off and stuff and like, you know, smack them on the butt with the newspaper or something. Yeah, um, it doesn't work because these two just chase each other everywhere and so if it's in the middle of a cat highway, it's going to get jumped it's on. It's just going to get jumped on. That makes sense. I'm but lucky. Yeah, so... I'm lucky because like, Roy can jump. He's a tree cat and Grimmy is a stump. Like, he is a huge, enormous, like, does-not-climb-things kind of cat, so it's very funny. So so I don't have to worry about them chasing each other, because Grimmy wouldn't be able to catch up. <laughs> yeah, my previous familiar, 
like she like didn't jump to hardly anything. She yeah. only used like the the ground floor of the cat tree. <laughs> and it was so cute. Oh, <laughs> it was. Uh, I miss Alley Cat. Yeah, so I'm getting used to having cats that like can freaking jump everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, anyways, back to the subject. Um, so, because we're still on the subject of altars. So, another piece of salt that I have. Why the fuck do you have that tool? Yes. If I come over to your house, you've invited me over, and I'm your friend, and we're hanging out, and we talk occult stuff all the time, and you want me to take me take you seriously, which is a, a thing that comes up a lot. Like, like people want me to take their shit seriously, so they try to like show me their things, and they and they bring me in and they show me their altar, and it's literally a fucking disgusting hodgepodge of puzzle pieces, and weird garbage, and just like all this kind of stuff. You know, I'm just going to give them a pass in most cases. I'm not going to take them too serious with that because everybody has clutter on their altar from time to time. That's not a big deal. But if I look at your altar and you're not a person who works with some sort of a tradition that requires that tool, but you have it anyways, like you've got the fucking like fifth pentacle of Solomon on your on your altar, you know, the, the fifth pentacle of the sun or something on your altar, and you don't know shit about the clavicle of Solomon. Why is that there? I walk in and I see that you've got a traditional athame that I know you can only get from various specific, like, Alexandrian and Gardnerian-themed websites. It's got their sigils on the hilt painted in white paint. It's black-handled, it's double-edged, and you've magnetized the goddamn blade. And you're not Wiccan, and you don't use athames for anything. Why the fuck is that there? And I know I've talked about this before. Why is this there? I just want to look at people and be like... This is supposed to be a, an area that is, at, at, like, if, for, if you're religious, it's a sacred space to the things that you venerate. And if it's non-religious, this is a useful space for things that are practical value to you. They are of practical use. In neither of those categories should you be putting a statue of, like, Brigid on your altar when you don't do Celtic shit. You don't even talk to her. Why is this here? You know, and like, if it's like, well, I didn't have anything else and I need something for this. Okay, fine. But you're going to get lots of fucking question marks over my head if you've got tools on your altar that make no sense and you don't use them. And I just, I don't get it. Like, that's that kind of goes in with the thing that you were saying, Felix, about like people who advise people how to set up an altar most of the advice i've heard over the years always comes from people who have a very specific religious tradition like they're wiccan and so they're like well you have to have like a, f a source for fire and you have to have the four elements and i'm over here going i don't you do have the a four red elements. thing over here and a white thing over here right you got to have the stuff that represents our religion on your altar of course and i'm like no i don't like why why and like in my in my magical cords, man, tradition, I have so many cords. Yes, just strings for everything, just everything. And that's cool if you do if you do cord magic. That's great. But if or if you're part of a religious tradition that uses them, fine. But I'm over here like, why are you telling people to have a, a an image of the horned god when they don't have anything to do with male magic at all? They don't have an interest in agriculture. They don't have an interest in animal deities. They have an interest in something else. Why are you telling them to put that there? Yeah, you've really got to remember that there are people who do other stuff. Yeah, and, like, help them by talking to them about it. And if you happen to be the person 
who has this. I'm try I'm going to try to be polite, and I have been. I've actually succeeded, but it it is a battle. Like, where I'm going to talk to someone and be like, oh, that's interesting, why do you have this here? And when they say, oh, well, my grandmother gave it to me, and so it sort of reminds me of her, I'm like, ah, oh, that's awesome, great. But if they're like, oh, well, you know, I was trying to make it look right. Well, what are you trying to make it look like? Like, what is right? And, like, it's just not, it doesn't make sense. We've created this unrealistic expectation in the in the um, modern neo-pagan community, in the occult community, the modern occult community, that your shit is supposed to pass muster according to a standard that we don't even upkeep. Like, this is from the 90s. You know, this is stuff that nobody has looked at for the last 20-something years. Yeah, a lot of the how-to books really are, like, just copy-pasted from the first ones that were doing this. No right. one's really edited the materials right and like much. so like the 90s material came from the 70s material and the 70s material came from like the bastardized versions of the 50s material that yeah. we, and that's wiccan material or you get into the like this is interesting to me i had a friend who considered themselves to be a native american medicine worker they were very proud of their native heritage despite the fact that they were white and being raised in chicago um they were very interested in and very invested in their Native American heritage. And so I don't even remember what tribe it was they were from. Um, they did the research, they went and they found some things and they started replicating some of the rites, but they would not ever let go of their Wiccan altar. Like they had the earth, air, fire, water, quarters, tools on their altar. And then they had like, they had their goddess and their God, and then they had their great spirit, but they never spoke about Wicca at all. And so when I asked them and, um, like I asked her specifically so when did you study Wicca she looked at me she's like how did you know I studied Wicca and I looked at her and I said well it's not a hard guess considering you've got a freaking altar in your main living room that has all your native stuff on it and it's done up according to the Greek elements and you have a Celtic goddess statue from like 13th moon sitting right there Yep. And she was just like, I didn't realize that that said that I was Wiccan. I was like, I didn't realize you wouldn't realize that those were obvious hallmarks of someone who studied Wicca. I'm, I'm... And she didn't do Wicca. She didn't believe in Wicca, but she never got rid of it because she didn't know how else to put an altar together. And I'm like, I don't think the natives did altars like this. I think they did things on the ground. I like her tribe specifically and I so we had this long conversation about it and she had no answers it just seems like this is something that you should learn if you're going to bother to do it and if you're having trouble and this is a holding pattern fine but recognize that don't try to sell it to someone else as something other than what it is you know it's interesting it's like at some point Scott Cunningham's method just got copy pasted everywhere oh no Scott was his own was not his own method like Scott well, I, like I don't consider that to be necessarily his method. It's just like that's the one that yeah. I learned that I also saw was boilerplate everywhere. Exactly. People apply his shit kind of across the board because it was so universally approachable. And the reason it's universally universally approachable is because he learned at the hands of some kind of like generic Wicca. And it wasn't like he had actual Wiccan experience as well. I know that. But, like, the stuff he was sharing with everybody else is the stuff that the Neo-Pagans had been saying when he was doing his thing. Um, most of his original 
material had to do with his herbal studies and that was funny because he even kind of flubbed it there i love scott cunningham and i want everybody to know that that is actually one of my favorite authors but that i mean every author has flaws myself included well maybe not me i don't know he was my first instruction on how to do an altar yeah he was a lot of people's first instruction on that well a lot of our people like a lot of the a lot of those of us who grew up in the 90s and watched the x-men animated tv show so on um putting stuff on your altar that doesn't necessarily belong um the se- the severed head of Siddhartha Gautama should never be <laughs> on your altar <laughs> there should never be a buddha head anywhere that like stop doing that <laughs> i have always been curious as to why like so many like witch themed shops sell fucking hindu artifacts so many fred myers do too it's very true like like if you've got a gold ohm there please tell me how that has anything to incorporates do. into your practice because i will understand if you have a, like a, an explanation as to how the ohm incorporates into your practice one year i was studying tantra and i went over to my buddy's house and he had he had invited me we had this thing that was going on for about five years where our friends and I we were all going through kind of like a fluctuation of spiritualities and I was I was pretty dyed in the wool kind of witch person but I studied all these other different things so um like my buddy Kai invited me over to his house to show me his new temple he had set up a temple space he had a room and everything and I knew he did yoga um, and I was actually really impressed with some of that. But he invited me over to see his new temple room, and his temple room was not Buddhist, but it did have a giant ohm with, like, the the chakra symbols all around it, which I loved. And I, I walked up to his altar. I had been studying Tantra, and I started immediately going into one of the, uh, one of the mantras. Um, there was a yantra on the wall, so I prayed to the yantra. And he looked at me like I was crazy, and he was like, what was that? And I'm like, I just prayed to the yantra that you put up on the wall because I was learning how to do that. And he's like, there are prayers? Oh, gosh. And I was just like, you put that on your wall and you didn't know what it was? And I just, and I judged him so hard at that point because I'm looking around going, you have a yoga mat rolled up in in the corner there. And I think this one on the floor is also a yoga mat. You've got these other things set up here. Why are all these things here? So all of the things, suddenly it's not a fun, beautiful experience. It's this weird experience of like, why do you have all this stuff on your wall? Like, why do you like, have your room set up this way? I have to ask you questions now. Yeah, the, the, the aesthetic you choose tells a story about you. And when other people see it, they're going to read it and infer certain things. So that it's really important to consider if you're going to be showing them to other people. When I especially feel like it's very important for practitioners of the occult to recognize that an altar is not just about aesthetic. It's not just about looking good. I am an aesthetic whore. You can you can look at my astrological chart and just write on the whole top part of the of the chart in big capital letters aesthetic whore and then down at the bottom right you can just write bitch in tiny little letters because that's that's what it basically says but aesthetic is about expression of the of the of the imagery that you see in your mind and how it all fits together the 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 machinery of it all Sometimes it's a beauty expression. Sometimes it's just like a logistics and logic expression. But it's always an expression of how you see the world. It's what you're experiencing come together. 
So like your altar is kind of a little cross section of that in magical practice. The world that you see is what you is what you recreate in your little microcosm here. And that's like that's the magical principle. I mean, altar work is supposed to be kind of sympathetic magic, you know, the small affects the large. Um, as above so below and all that. And then religiously, it's the small reflects the large so that I can venerate the large by interacting with the small, that kind of concept. So it's always interesting to me whenever uh, people put together an altar that doesn't mean anything to them at all just because they were told it's supposed to. Um, or because they thought it was supposed to and they just didn't know. And then they try to pass it off as if it's okay, like as if it's like it doesn't bear any scrutiny. They're just sort of pay no attention to the altar in the corner. You know, even though I'm showing it to you, pay no attention to the fact that I have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah, like whenever you're just putting something to fill in space, like it, man, I've like, I've, I've done that times before and I've just found it's always just kind of accrued dust and been easy to eliminate later. Right. Which is very frustrating. <laughs> now, on the opposite side of this, though. Oh, here, you were trying to say something. Go ahead. Oh, I don't know. I think that's pretty much it. Like, you know, like, if it's extraneous, it's it's going to make itself... You're going to find out it's pretty extraneous. Yeah. If you haven't touched something on your altar for the last, like, year, ask yourself why. Do the KonMari method. Jesus. I'm, I'm so irritated by this. Like, I'm so flustered by it that I'm swearing to other people's gods. Oh, didn't you want to talk about... Um, oh, that was going to be... I think we should probably move on to discourse. I think we, we're getting into... I do have one area. more thing that we need to talk about. Uh, okay, let's do it. One more thing. And I know you have at least one more thing. So one more thing... That's right, That's I do. Yes, one more thing that I want to talk about. Fuck you if you have fabulous shit that I want. Like, if I go over to somebody's house... <laughs> and they're like, we've just made friends, we're pretty chill, we like each other, and I walk into your house... And you're like, here, come look at my altar. And it's this gorgeous fucking vintage glass cabinet. And you've got all these beautiful tools in there that are, like, pressed behind glass. And there's this presentation area. And you've got, like, this beautiful, like, Persian glass potion bottle. And, like, this really neat shadow box from the Victorian period. And then you've got this, like, lovely sort of, like... uh, like this beautiful glass and crystal wand and all this sort of stuff. All these things that are designed to make me drool. Fuck uh-huh. you. Especially, oh, especially, especially if I am better at magic than you are. I seriously, at that moment, at that exact moment, is the moment you should mark it in your brain. Because if I ever become a supervillain, if I ever go fucking round the bend, your house is one of the ones I'm going to visit and I'm taking all your shit and you're going to be a smoking ruin. I'm not kidding. Like, I so, so often in the 20-something years I've been practicing, like, as an adult, in the 20-something years that I've been practicing, I have encountered a lot of people who think that their altar is time to display my, my, my wallet. It's time to display my checkbook. You walk in and everything they own is expensive. Like, I know how expensive things are. I work in the industry. If I walk up to your altar and it is festooned with these giant crystals that cost $5,000 a piece, and I'm over here going, there's no way that you got that for wholesale under 1000 bucks," 
and I'm looking at this. Like, I know somebody who has a hip-tall quartz crystal point in her house. And I am over here going, what child did you sell? Because I know how expensive that shit is. And, like, they just walk past that, like, oh, never mind. Just walk past the Labradorite-encrusted table and come with me into the kitchen. We'll have some Shiraz and talk about our feelings. And I'm just like, I'm going to cut your throat. (laughs) You want to hear my feelings? My feelings are you need to die and I need to inherit everything you own. (laughs) And it's just, like, it's... It's nice to have beautiful pieces. It's nice to have lovely, gorgeous, beautiful pieces. And I have a number myself because this is my livelihood and my life. And one of the funnest things about being an occultist as a business is a lot of these things are business expenses. I actually use them. They re- they're required for certain kinds of research or certain kinds of work. I actually get a, a, a tax break on some of them. That's nice. But <laughs> I'm looking at this person who has more money than sense and I was raised by a career criminal. Like, my dad was no one to speak of, but he was a career criminal. And I don't share that piece of my background very often, but you need to know that all of a sudden you just... There's a part of me that remembers when my dad was talking about the gullible and rich, and you just got put on that list, and now I have to, like, make space from you so I don't turn into my dad. Mm-hmm. It's just... it's. Come on, use some common sense. If you have some really expensive pieces, fine. But don't, like, show them off. This isn't a goddamn museum. Especially, like, if the piece is something that... It's very beautiful, but it's not practical at all. You can't handle that without destroying it. Don't, like, don't look at it funny or you'll muss its essence. Fuck you. Why are you spending $2,000 on a wand? You know what I mean? It's just dumb. Like, I'm... I will drop a couple hundred dollars to pay for something really useful and really beautiful. That's if I have it, which I don't usually. But, like, I will be willing to do that if I have the money for it. But if you're over here with the fucking leather-embossed, gold, like, gem-encrusted Book of Shadows and the, the besom whose bristles are all made out of gold and the athame that, like... It's it's so perfectly ornate and perfectly designed that and it's supposedly like spent the handle spent time up Gerald Gardner's ass or something. I don't know. <laughs> what are you doing with yourself? Shouldn't you be using your money to help the poor? You know, that kind of thing. Go do something useful with your life. Anyway, so that's my bitch. That's like pretentious, ridiculously unattainable standards for altars that you run into and you're just like I just I want to bite that person's face off what about you though Felix you have one more thing to share okay let's talk about ridiculously unattainable outdoor altars (laughs) okay so for one I've read several a grimoire that tell you to go out in the out of doors maybe at a crossroads or something and put some candles out there and light some candles for one fuck you no you can't light a candle in outdoors i i defy you to light a candle in the outdoors <laughs> you know we my very first initiation rituals involved outdoor practice <laughs> and the wind kept putting out the fucking altar candles like consistently to the point where we just decided to do it in the dark like the only solution is lanterns right well dude we had one at one point and it didn't help. 
Yeah, sometimes it's just not going to help. And that's, I'm over here going, do you people actually practice magic? I, how many times have we run into, in like a book, a description where you go out into the woods and you carry your torch with you or your candles or whatever, and you go and you lay out the chalk circle in the space. I'm over here like, who has that kind of space? You can't chalk a forest floor. I was going to say, like, I have had people do these things where they take pictures of their ornate forest altars and it's like this twig tied together kind of contraption very like uh what was it the what's that the Blair Witch Project sort of thing yeah, Blair Witch Project looking yeah they and they just you know bend all the sticks into this form and all this kind of stuff and you tie all these things together and then you lay out this circle of white stones and then you have the staying in the middle and I'm over here going you live in the sticks in England, don't you? That is the only place I know in the world where you would be able to get away with that kind of setup, and someone wouldn't just walk by and go, oh, how you doing? Because I live in Nevada, and it's a desert, and so all of the trees that are here, we know their names, for God's sake. There aren't that many of them. You know, if we want to go out in the wilderness, we have to go out to where the rattlesnakes live and the coyotes, and we have to go out and, like, Oh, what's this interesting cave? Whoops, I just fell into a rattlesnake den. Like, or a mine shaft. God, people. Yeah, I mean, even if you do make it into the woods, it's not, you cannot light tea lights like that. Like, no. I have seen so many photoshops that are implying that they're actually altars out in the woods. It's like, no, that part of that was on your table. And right. And you, you put that... You photoshopped that over the stump, and you're never going to find a stump like that in the woods. Right. Or in the movies. This one's fun. Like in The Craft, that altar in the beginning in the gazebo. They have the altar in the gazebo. And they're all sitting around it, like... And they're like gesturing 500 million candles, runestones all over the place. And these are... And by the way, those runestones are like Ralph Bloom's runes. And I was like, this is so fucking costume dressing. There's a ton of voodoo and Santeria stuff sprinkled about it. I know. And like that weird little wax doll and all this kind of stuff. And they're just like, and they're reaching through and they're like, now is the time. This is the hour. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm, and the first thing that I thought was, where the fuck did they find a, a, like an elevated outdoor gazebo surrounded artfully by trees next to an antebellum fucking plantation replica mansion? In San no Francisco. See them. In San Francisco. Yes. I'm like, I've been to San Francisco. That's not what San Francisco looks like. Where, where is this? Where? I, I made are that those joke magnolias? to you earlier. Yes, and you're like, did they film this in Alabama? And I'm yeah, just like, I bet they did. There's a bunch of stuff that's supposed to be set in San, in, on the West Coast or in San Francisco that's like set. In, it's filmed in Alabama because they had like a bunch of like film credits happening at the time and you're just like they don't have that much spanish moss and fucking magnolia trees where the hell did that come from yep that was filmed in alabama and i just i uh, and i'm like impossible standards this is not something you can replicate and i am over here going and i've met people like i've met really clever people who have learned how to artifice a lot of this stuff they're like i saw an aesthetic in a movie and that's what drives my magic and i love it and so check it out my house is practical magic and they've done a lot with very little and i'm just like that's really impressive and i i think that's really amazing and then they get bent out of shape over that one thing they can never find and i'm just like don't get bent out of shape look at what you've done this is amazing 
that is impossible. Someone had that in a props place. Like that was in a theater, like back back room or something. That was in somebody's house, and they were like, "Sure, I'll lend you my vintage fucking umbrella." <laughs> I'm just like, just don't do magic with what you have. Oh, humans. Okay, we got to go to the discourse. Yeah, let's go to discourse. We're, let's move on to the next phase, uh, aka echo chamber Azarak, where we talk about things that are totally true and totally interesting, and we're right and others are wrong. Remember what Eugene Yang says. I'm right, you're wrong, shut up. Yes, we were saying that before he was, because we were righter than him. Anyways, today's discourse is confess your sins at the altar. And literally, what we're going to do is talk about how we design altars, and what altars are about for us. Not just how we design them, but also what we use them for. So the first thing we're going to talk about is design and aesthetic. Felix, talk about your design style. What do you do? So... Um, one important thing about my altar work is that I consider the altar to pretty much exist as soon as I've put up enough of it that it defines the space that it's supposed to take up to be like an altar. And that doesn't take much. It usually takes like, it can take one object to do that. It usually takes two to three for me. And just like, you know, laying that out enough in relation to each other, the balance of the space is like, this is dedicated obviously to something. And from there, I just keep adding the objects and kind of move things around to make sure that the things stay in balance. Um, I I end up having a lot of symmetry in my altars, I notice, or I end up dividing sections of them according to theme. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, I... I don't know, I, I tend to organize them a lot. So like, you know, this area of the altar is going to be dedicated to um, this area of study or this uh, discipline that this entity oversees or something like that. Hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I like to be able to do specific, focus specific work in specific areas. Now, when you create spaces like that, do you, do the powers that you work with um... Like you were saying, this part's for this particular deity. Do they have to coexist? Do they have to get along in order for you to do that? Um, I do um, ask for the entity's input whenever I'm committing a space to them. Like, you okay. know, so they, they get to sound be. in. Yeah. See, for me, it's it's a it's very much a okay. So I don't put together altars for gods very often. I'm a terrible religious person. Like when it comes to religious stuff, I'm terrible about it. I don't keep up on offerings. I'm really bad about dedications or devotions or anything like that. I'm just not very good at religion because I have such a, like, like whiplash, almost, like, knee-jerk reaction rejection of religion because I was raised by Mormons. Mm -hmm. And I just, I don't want to pray. Fuck you. Um, (laughs) That kind of thing. If you're going to make me pray, I don't want to talk to you right now. But... One of the things I will do is I will acknowledge if I put together a space that involves a deity or host of spiritual forces, I make sure that that space is special for them and nothing that is not in line with them can go on it. And if I have multiple ones I want to work with and they don't get along, I don't put them on the same table. Like, it's been a big deal. We had a ritual one year where someone was putting together a Samhain ritual and they had four different, like, tutelary forces they were working with two goddesses a a celtic hero and then which is tantamount to a god for them um but they had a a celtic goddess there who's actually absolutely a god and then they had a demon 
Like, I'm over here going, this is a mistake. Especially because one of those deities was a, a goddess that you call upon to destroy demons. I was oh, like, no. you can't do that. You can't... These three deities over here, because they had intended even more. These three deities are all queens. You can't give them a... like. You can't create a ritual that's dedicated to all of them and have them hold space together and then have a demon. Like, they're going to eat that demon. That's like a terrible... They're going to get mad and they're going to come over there and they're going to stomp on his face and then he's going to be pissed at you and they're going to be pissed at you and everybody's going to be pissed and all of you are going home with, like, major headaches. Like... They're gonna, you're gonna end up with a plague of boils or something. This is a bad idea, and that's always been my like my process. Like that's always been part of my process. How about you? Um, well, so for me, I already work with a group of six entities as like kind of my core practice, and they all have to work together. Right. Um. So because they're part of my core practice and therefore also kind of part of you know who comes in or out of here right um everybody else yeah everybody else has to get along with them so and i also found that um the entities that typically get along with me tend to be the the entities that typically get along with them anyway that's good yeah so i mean i'm working with like a grab bag of goetic demons so that's gonna be like a a whole host of interesting entities but they act Uh, as almost like they're almost like security. They're like the bouncers. Yeah, well, I mean, they, you know, definitely. Um, and since, like, you know, because they they lay the groundwork of everything it is that I do, I I can't work with anyone else who, like, cannot deal with them. But right. like, I, I have yet to really find uh, an entity who, like, you know, like, it looks like we're going to have a, like, we could have, like, a interesting working relationship that, like, can't deal with the court. Usually right. the court's helping me. Well, and then what about, like, non-religious resonance on your altar? Like, uh, forces that aren't something that you're venerating as a religious aspect? Okay, so I've got, um, sometimes I have places for people. So, like, humans? Um, like, living humans or dead people? Uh, both. Okay. So, um, with dead people, I kind of keep that all in one area. Okay. Um, because I don't want to be venerating dead people at the same place I'm venerating life people a whole bunch. Okay. Um, because it can have bad effects on the life people sometimes. Okay. Um, and also might disturb the dead people too much. That makes sense. So, um, I try to kind of keep that in the appropriate areas to where, um, everything's kind of in balance properly, especially because I'm a witch who is easily haunted, so I don't want my place becoming like ghost central super yeah like super like rackety ghost central ghost where central there's station. a whole bunch of noise yeah ghost central station like you know it, it, it's all right if there's spirits around but um be quiet they can easily get active <laughs> be kind and be quiet to your neighbors <laughs> and keeping the space for them in a place where it's more quiet for them helps that facilitate that so so um with live people um I I will say that if you have a romance altar, then whenever you commit that kind of romantic space, um, make sure that the stuff, like the, the, if you put stuff for people on that altar, that it's people you have a romantic relationship with. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> yes. Don't put someone on that altar if they're not supposed to be in that space. 
Um, I have accidentally placed something I didn't know was associated with a person, and it had like a weird effect. It wasn't that it caused us to have any kind of relationship. It was more like they're like, "Hey, like I'm having like a weird like you know sensation or something." He's like, "Did you do like some altar work or something?" And like I was like, you know, sure enough. <laughs> How did you get over there? <laughs> that thing shouldn't be over there. Thanks for your feedback. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I don't know. Like I think that's a like a. I think that's a sensible thing for us to know. Like, don't put poop on the altar. Don't put your altar tools in the toilet. Um, can expand into a whole spectrum of don't put stuff that's associated specifically with love and romance in the curse altar and vice versa and so on. You know, all that kind of stuff. Don't put a person who's who you're not trying to have a romantic relationship with on your romance altar. That's a bad plan. Um but not everybody even does like multiple altars. Although altar magic is something worth looking into, and unfortunately, most of the resources that specifically focus on it are terrible. Um, but it is something worth learning about. I tend to think that the altars that I have put up over the years say a lot about my way of looking at the world and like what I was going through at the time. For like years, and I'm talking like 15 years. My altars always had a black and a white something on them, like a black and a white crystal ball, or a black and a white statue, or a black and a white candle, or a black and a white, black and a white, black, black, white, white, always that kind of thing. Never like all black or all white, but there was always a black and a white, and then there was stuff in color. And I never really understood what it was I was trying to tell myself at that point. Like, I always kind of felt like, oh, well, this is how I view the duality of, like, the deity that I was working with. Or, you know, like, Hecate is light in the darkness, but she's also, like, in when seen in the dark, she or seen in, in like, the broad daylight, she's the shadowy one, all that kind of stuff. And I was like, maybe it's just light and darkness and duality are a thing for me. No, actually what it was was I was having difficulty reconciling a paradox in my own paradigm. I was having trouble with the fact that I have a very strong affinity with shadowy and dark and mysterious kind of magic, kind of like goth kind of stuff. But I also have this affinity for like bright and shiny, friendly things and like rainbows and stuff like that. And I was never able to kind of bring them together and just make them one thing. So it's taken me a really long time to kind of reconcile that paradigm and um, give it a proper place in my world. Now I have done it, and I, I have a comfort level with it, and I, like a comfort zone with it. So literally there are altars, one set up with the kind of the dark aesthetic with all the black obsidian daggers and like the creepy stuff, and like the black themed tarot deck. And then like the other area I've got like all white porcelain and china and like, you know, like a white quartz crystal and all that kind of stuff. And they all have their purpose and their place, and I don't keep them always up throughout the year like I used to. I will take them down and I will put them up when the, their time is right. Like winter is for the white things. And like the full of summer is when I do my, my dark spooky stuff. Um, and that's just kind of become a thing that I work with. So I really feel like it's important for people to recognize that their altars are a reflection of the world that they're seeing both inside and out. And let that be an authentic thing that they work with. Be that, you know, be as loyal and, and, um, allegiant to that as you possibly can um i have a weird quirk though when i do altars it's not an altar unless i put a cloth down that's very interesting it's a tarot thing i think because i've been a reader more than i've been any other kind of witch 
Like, I do divination for pretty much everything. So it's not magic unless I put a cloth down. Like, I have in front of me, um, against the wall, the stable altar that I put together for the family. And it's not really... Um, it doesn't have a cloth, but it does have a separated board. And everything that's on it is religious and spiritual, like, and magical. Like, they're all magical tools that we use in various forms of ritual. But since there's not a cloth, it's not active. It's just there, decoratively, to say it's being activated, it's being venerated. But I haven't laid a cloth down to use any of the tools, so it's not being used. It's like a weird kind of mental shift for me. If I put a cloth down, then now we're doing magic. Fair enough. It's very weird. I don't know. Um, but it's me it's become sort of a part of my process when I teach people how to do ritual magic with altars. I tell them, okay, so this is how I do it. When I'm doing a particular kind of ritual, I lay down a cloth that is the right color or the right shape for that ritual, and that's what starts it. So when you were saying, like, an altar setup can be one object, and then it's an altar, but usually it takes three or four. For me, once the cloth is there, the altar has begun. Yeah, that is a really good way to start to establish the space. Um, because I don't always start from the cloth, but I'll um, end up putting the cloth in later after I've gotten the arrangement I want and I see where I think I want things. Like then I know what cloth I want. Huh. That's cool. Because um, like I I will often rebuild an altar over time. Like yeah, uh, I've Tinkering got an altar that's fun. just for job stuff. Well, and tinkering with it and moving things around is part of the fun. Yeah, so it's like, you know, when things change or shift in, like, that area, then I try to, like, change or shift the altar to sort of suit what's going on and and uh, adapt and be flexible because, like, um, you know, whenever I do magic to affect a situation, at some point I know that the magic is done, it's affected the situation. Right. Which meant that it, it, I actually can't just let it, like, sit out anymore. It's like, that's when I know the spell is done. I take the stuff in. But, right. Um, you know, I, like, often let sing, things kind of just sit out on the altar. And sometimes, like, if they're out here where the cats can get them, then, like, you know, I know the spell is done when a cat takes an element of the spell. <laughs> right. And that can be a way to do it. Like, it's meant to be interacted with. This is... um. That's a really good way to explain it. Like altars, some altars are not meant to be meddled with. I feel like a shrine is supposed to be veneratory. And so the things that are placed on there are placed with care and they should not be touched. They should only be touched by the person who has placed them. But like an altar, if like my cats get involved with the altar, I tend to feel like they're involving themselves with the spell. You know, um, and, like, things that happen on the altar affect change in the world. Whereas, like, on the shrine, for me, this is just my own mental way of looking at it. A shrine, it's, if things affect the shrine, if you manipulate the objects on the shrine, what you're doing is affecting, a, like, a, a change upon the connection between you and the thing you're venerating. As opposed to affecting a change in the world with an altar. I don't know, that... It could just be the way that I look at it, and it could be why I put together altars. But that's been a mental kind of shift for me. So that's a thing. I have something um, kind of looping back to familiars interacting with your altars uh -huh. and, and maybe doing things that you didn't like. Um, I have actually had them jump on an altar and break some stuff. Yeah, I hate it. Um, and... 
Um, I will say I didn't like it, but I did learn when they did that that it turned out I didn't need that thing. I am not so philosophic about that. I'm attached to my stuff. Well, there's a reason why my my voice shifted in tone. Oh. Because it's not that I necessarily liked not having that thing anymore. Like, I, I didn't really want to learn that lesson. Right? Um, and so it's like, I, I, I don't feel like I wanted to experience this emotional span. And the thing is, like, for the uh, the cats, um, they know when they did something wrong. Yeah. Um, and so even if I, you know, decide, you know what, there's really no point in telling them anything about it because this obviously happened about five hours ago and they already look really spooked. So they've already guilted themselves and that's enough. I'm just going to like give them some pets and let them know it's okay. Um, well, and they definitely matter. Like your animals matter more than your material possessions. And that is like, that's a thing. I just, um, it's funny because I keep... I keep my Roni's ashes on my altar. One of the things in my family is we put objects that are associated with our family onto our altar because the family is welcome everywhere. Like, the dead are welcome everywhere. But we only ever call the dead who are our family. So, like, they're welcome everywhere. They can go on any altar, and they're always welcome there. Um, So Ronan is up on the altar now, which is funny because he was never allowed up there when he was alive. And um, <laughs> he gets to sit there and he gets to overlook everything in the house. And he's kind of got, like, the permanent power position now. But um, I, 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 he's broken things. He's destroyed things. Um, and every time he's done that, it turns out, like, I understand what you mean when you say, like, it turns out I don't need it. I didn't need it anyway. I understand, because mm-hmm. I've had that happen to me. I didn't like the lesson. I didn't like the experience, and it made me sad. Like, it made me... I, I grieve over the loss of material objects. But, he like, it was right. Like, a lot of times it's like, oh, I found the perfect wand, and I'm totally in love with it, and he sat on it and destroyed it. You know, it wasn't even on the altar. It was sitting on the couch. Because I'm a nester, I have a tendency to collect objects and put them around me. So a lot of things end up on the couch. Anyway, back to the altar, like, decorations. So, like, aesthetic. Are there any things that you insist upon having on every altar? Um, let me think about that. Uh, I always end up with some sort of shiny glass container that has, like, little trinkets in it. it really? Seems. Um, or, like, uh, coins. Coins end up there. Um... There is always going to be something I put a tea light inside of. So you always have tea lights. Yes, I, I typically use them a lot. There's a few there's a few altars where that doesn't really come into play, but it's because I do different kind of work with those than I do candle magic. The things that I always put on my altar, like you already know I already have a cloth. There's always like a a separated space, even in the not used altars. But the active altars always have a cloth. I almost always have a crystal of some sort or some sort of like ornate stone object like a statue and I almost always have fire those are what I put on my altar those are always going to be there everything else is subject to change it used to be for a while that I would put a tarot deck or some sort of like a divination tool on the altar I don't really do that anymore mostly because I'm too busy coming up with portable kits that substitute as altars 
and the and the decks are in those. <laughs> but like the uh, the main altars that I have always have like a stone of some sort, and I think that's like a throwback to my mom because my mom has always had a penchant for collecting like mystical objects of that are made of stone, crystal balls, statuary carved objects of some sort just random looking cool fucking crystals that kind of stuff it's always been her thing and I think she kind of gave it to me and then the fire thing um well I'm a fire and night witch you know I I one of my like my patron is Hecate so one of my big things is fire fire needs to be there yeah there's always going to be room for fire if it's not room for the tea lights right and you know what doesn't often end up on my altar though What's that? Tools. Hmm. Like a wand or a blade don't usually end up on the altar. Like it's always yeah. decorator, decorative type stuff. I only have I have one altar that I have storing those kind of things, and it's in like in a place where like stuff can't get to it. Because I don't want really the because they're tools cats being able to jump up and get those. You need those. They actually are useful for things. You have to use them. So like they need to be stored somewhere safe. It's I, like having a gun cabinet in my right. opinion. You don't want them to just be available for anyone to pick up and wave around. That has been one of the things that has driven me crazy. That's another thing that goes into the dish section. Oh no! Stuff is just laying out. Don't touch the shit on a pagan's altar. What is wrong with you? Gosh, don't just touch stuff. Don't. But especially don't lay stuff out where people can just touch. Well, when I was, you know, when I was younger, living in a, like, a roommate situation, all of my ritual tools would sit on a table because that was the only place I had for them. I couldn't I've just... had a few situations like that. And I hated it because my friends would come over and start waving my wand around, and I'm like, what are you doing? What made you think that you had the right to go over to my dresser bureau, like my dresser, the top of my dresser was my altar for a while, and pick up my shit and wave it around? <clears throat> like, at one, at one point, one of my friends, my friend Nikki, she came over, we were brand new friends, had not been, had not known each other for very long. She came over, she picked up my wand, and I reached out and grabbed her boob. And she just looked at me. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. What are you doing? Put my fucking wand down. She goes, you grabbed my boob. I'm like, you kind of touched my penis right there. <laughs> and it became this like ludicrous memory that we still talk about every so often. <laughs> but it was just, it's like, why would you do that? So I don't know. I, humans bother me. <laughs> Anyways. um, Okay. So yeah, don't just grab me the stuff. So. For me, though, an aesthetic, I agree with you on the symmetry thing. I really like symmetry in my altars. It usually helps establish that a space is actually set up for something as opposed to just a random collection of objects. Right. I, I absolutely agree. Aesthetic is very important to me, and symmetry is part of my aesthetic. Elegance is a part of my aesthetic. I don't like to... One of the other reasons why I don't like to have a lot of my altar tools out is because some of them are not as elegant as the stuff I do like leaving out. Like, I have a lovely uh, teacup that I use for various different, like, offerings that I, you know, like, liquid offerings and stuff. That is like a, 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 tea, a tea leaf reading teacup. It's got, like, designs on it and stuff. And then I have a bowl that has some, uh, like, some calaveras skulls on it. Um, and that I use for, like, 
death offerings. Like I put like the stuff that goes into that is sacred to the realms of the dead. And they look very of a piece. They're both porcelain, ceramic kind of a thing. They're both beautiful. They're both done up in the same colors. So they are a part of a set for me, even though they were collected separately. And when they're out, anything that doesn't jive with that kind of aesthetic, I don't want sitting on the altar. Like, I had a friend put a crystal on there, and I was like, get that off of there. And she's like, why? I'm like, it doesn't look anything like the rest of the stuff on the altar. Put it over there. And, like, I made her remove it. Yeah, there's uh, times where I, like, it's time to change over the altar because it's time to put something on it that just doesn't go with anything else, but it's got to be the thing. Yeah, it's redecorating time. Like, sometimes I I realize that now I'm going to be doing a certain kind of magic with this altar space, and that means I'm going to be rebuilding the space a little bit to Mm -hmm. be able to fit that. You know what never looks good on an altar? What? Rotting food. Oh, yeah, let's talk about offerings. We're going to talk about offerings now. So, I get neglect. I understand neglect. I don't dust for shit, which means anytime I'm about to use my altars, I have to go and wash everything. I get it. But here's one thing that you should never, ever have in your house, ever, anywhere, at all. Rotting food. It's unhygienic. It's disgusting. You will make people sick. If I walk into your house and you're like, oh, I just did a ritual three days ago, and I look at your altar, and you have a piece of rotten meat sitting on your altar, do not invite me over to your house until you've cleaned up. What the hell's wrong with you? This is a bad idea in general because unless you are specifically dedicated to the powers of rot and decay, and your altar is dedicated to, like, Hela from the Norse, who is half rotten, don't put rotting meat on your fucking table and leave it there. And even if you are, make her a shrine out in the fucking backyard or something. Oh my god, that's such a bad idea. You, there are so many diseases that you could be giving people with this shit. What's the matter with you? Anyways, for me, all forms of offerings are things that are, if they're going to be in the house, they're things that are not going to upset the palate. They're not going to make people sick. They're not going to be unhygienic. They're not going to create some sort of problem. So flowers and things like that. I generally don't bring flowers in the house because they die. I'm like grains, like cereal, like rice can go in a bowl, that kind of a thing. Um, Stones, coins, that kind of stuff. Those can stay in the house. They aren't going to rot and be gross. Um, They have a longer time available to them. But like flowers, food, I always make sure that it's something that's going to add to the environment as it dies and for the things that sit on the altar that do come in the house I have I leave them there for three days three days maximum that's how long they stay after three days they must be removed if it's sitting on the altar still after three days it's no longer an offering it's junk so you gotta move it um, when I pour liquid offerings I almost always take them out and, and give them as a libation to the ground under a sacred space of some sort, you know, like a tree or a crossroads or something like that. Um, But I will occasionally leave like a wine glass for three days because those don't cause problems as they evaporate. Jesus Christ, human beings. I will say if you leave a wine glass out and you have any flies around, be prepared for those flies to gather around around the wine glass. Right, that's another thing. Like, gross. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. If that's going to happen, um, I won't do it. It's water or nothing. 
Yeah, and sometimes, you know, if you're in a certain area where those bugs are always around and you don't have, like, the kind of place where you can keep those out, like, you know, if you're out um, somewhere in the south where there's just certain places like that, then yep. you're not going to be able to keep that out. You're going to have to just put that wine out as soon as possible. Exactly. And that's a smart thing to do. The other thing is, some traditions will tell you, well, don't drink the offerings, whereas other traditions will say, consume the offerings. They're part of it. Yeah, there's like a lot of differing traditions on how you do this, and some some traditions like it depends on uh, which which sect, mm -hmm. um, like how this goes, and even if they have an indication as to how this is supposed to go, I, my personal practice just it delivers it 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 depends on like what's going on, like what I'm gonna do with that offering, and um, how long it's gonna stay out. But with food offerings, typically they just like stay out like the the night of and then the next day they they get disposed of um and the same with drink offerings um sometimes the drink offering gets tossed um the day of because um let's say let's get into specifics um i often make eligos a cup of tea if i'm having tea because right. it's very easy to make another cup of tea if you're having tea right and plus it's and a nice thing to do for your friend yeah, and, like, it's, like, you know, I also, like, if there's somebody else around, like, you know, I'll make, like, a cup of tea. Because um, that's just what you do. Right. Um, you want it for me. Yeah, exactly. And so um, I also just, you know, I ask Eligos if he wants a cup of tea. Usually he wants a cup of tea. The thing is, if I made him a cup of tea in the morning, um, by the time it's afternoon, and I've, like, kind of switched out the kind of tea that I'm making... Um, I'm making another round of tea, and I'm like, you know, well, do you want, like, you know, this cup of tea, too? And he's like, yeah, I want, like, that kind of tea, too. And I'm like, okay, great. So I, I dump out his previous cup of tea. Right, and then you, um, you clean out his cup and make him a new one. Yeah, it's like it's new tea time. Um, so, you know, that that's one where I just kind of rotated because, you know, he just wanted different tea. Well, exactly. Um, now, and the thing is, like, though, you have a shorthand because you actually can interact with them and have, like, conversations, whereas some people don't have that ability. But yeah. you and I do. <laughs> and it's easier for me to do that in the confines of my own home, I might add. Right. Like, that kind of back and forth, because it's much easier for me to feel at ease enough to get that kind of communication from them. Right, and you're not worried Whereas about people staring like, at you and, and asking funny questions. Yeah, if I'm out, like, on a busy city street, then I'm not going to be necessarily able to, like, you know, pick up some nuances like that. Um, but... Yeah, so, also, um, it's okay for me to dump some things into the sink. Um, it really just depends on what's going on, whether that's <laughs> supposed to be something that's supposed to go into the ground. And uh, that's just how it goes for, like, the stuff that I've done thus far. Um, I don't have a problem with ever disposing of things in the sink if they're not, like, something that someone is supposed to be enjoying. Like, it's done now. It's time to go on. So at the end of the three days, if that's the, the solution, then that's the solution. But mostly I take things outside because I'm like, drink it from the roots of the tree, that kind of thing. Or like, it's in the open air, now you can take it in, that kind of thing. Yeah, I don't have a very good spot for that where if it happened very... I think if it happened very often, then that would get very smelly right by the neighbors. I mean, that might be worth it. It depends on no, if you like No, those neighbors. neighbors are fine. Okay. <laughs> I might be like, it's on my land. I can do what I want. But um, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I tend to be a bit, 
bitchy, though. So as some of you may have noticed, I don't know. You might have noticed. Anyways, okay, so offering. So for me, and this is really important, um, I kill plants just by looking at them. It sucks. Unless they're roses, and then they grow by themselves. That means... I'm not going to have a live plant in my house be a part of anything that I am doing in terms of keeping a shrine or an altar. Ever. Silk flowers is about as close as you're going to get. Paper flowers, maybe. But you're not going to ever see me with an actual plant. And that's the only appropriate way that I feel comfortable with doing a ritual offering of flowers to a deity or a spirit or doing a spell or whatever that's the only way I'm going to feel comfortable with it if I want those things to last. So if I do flowers, they're usually offerings that I take out to like a cemetery or like that I lay out on the ground or something under a tree or like, you know, under the sun or whatever. I I know it's going to die. And so I, I take them somewhere where dying will be something they do in grace, you know? That's interesting. Because I don't feel good about the idea of polluting my altar space. It's supposed to be clean, which is why anytime I'm going to use it, I clean it up. And I don't ever have any space in my house that if it gets dusty, it's going to dilute it or ruin it somehow. Because I don't dust very well. And if I did that, I would be screwing up my magic. So that's the thing for me. I don't know if that's the thing for you. Um, yeah, the dusting thing is something where I don't do it on a certain schedule, but, like, if it gets bad enough, it's like, well, is it important that I dust, or is it important that I entirely rebuild the space, because obviously I'm not doing anything with it. See, and that's a good one. That's a good distinction. That's a good thing to think. You know it's okay? One of the things I want to offer to our audience, it's okay for you to look at a space and go, oh... I've been doing this wrong. I need to redo it. That's okay. Yeah, if there's like a whole bunch of dust, that means that you haven't interacted with anything there. And so maybe you just need to think about why you're not doing that. Right. And do you really want it to be like this to where, like if there's dust, it also means it's really hard for you to clean it. Right. Um, so, yeah. Um, I, I Eventually I tend to like, why is there dust here? Because I don't like their the dust building up. That kind of stuff like, really kind of gets to me. Right. But um, I like... Do you want to come over and dust my house? Uh, no, because I gotta like. I was about to say I have to really keep this place clean because I have two very um, hairy cats. That's very true. Um, yeah, it's very sad and very true. Um, <laughs> and so there's just like a lot to clean up when you've got that going on, and you, man, like that's just like a whole other order of things it i is. guess <laughs> but um if you if you have like a fluffy cat then you're gonna end up uh cleaning up your altar space that it can access uh more often it's true and that is that when i say i don't like to dust it's not that i never dust it's that i don't like to and so i don't do it often enough considering we have had three shaggy cats in this house and now we have two and we also have me and nate who have really long hair so, like, uh -huh. this place needs to get swept and vacuumed all the time. We just don't do it as all the time as we should. <laughs> so. Yeah. What about so. what about altar work? What do you use your altar work for? 
So if I, a lot of my spells are meant to have like whatever whatever it's crafted out of via like like be it like folded paper or like um, some sort of object that is underneath um, something that stays on my altar um, okay. or like uh, a typical jar spell um, okay. all of that stuff can stay on an altar whenever it's doing whatever work it's supposed to be doing right and then it can be focused on that work and also has a place where it can just sit and do that without getting disturbed I don't really like like say freezer spells um, I have those in a certain area of the freezer and I don't put the food right next to it oh yeah that makes sense yeah, so it's you know have kind of that kind of cordoned off a little bit. <laughs> I don't need my hamburger to become part of that particular spell. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, so um, it's not going to taste good afterwards. <laughs> oh, this tastes like my evil coworker. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, so um, I make sure that um, certain things are in certain areas. If I'm gonna uh, arrange things on my altar, like you know this this thing here that is a spell that's to help a relationship with a troublesome person, like you know maybe the the thing on top of that jar is going to be something to help me deal with them. Right. I have that same kind of thing. I the spaces that I use for magical work. If I'm using an altar space for magical work it's committed to that work it's never committed to like multiple works i have multiple areas that i'll put things up if i have to do it that way um and it, I've, it's taken me a long time to get to a place where i could do that because i used to live in a house with roommates like i was living with roommates for most of my adult my young adulthood and uh like right out of high school all the way up to like probably it was like 2009 so like nine years um, yeah, I've like I've had that happening for quite a lot of my life too. It's only been recently that I had my own space to really control. Yeah, and like now we own our own home, and so we set up our spaces. And like you can tell, the spaces that this space is a space that Nate kind of cohabitate, or kind of inhabits, and then this is a space that I inhabit. And this is a space that just kind of became overage for everybody, you know that kind of stuff. And then you've got the altar spaces, and they have the same kind of like I don't know aesthetic on them. Like this is clearly a Nate's altar space type place this is clearly rune had his hands into this one this one's clearly about mike you know that kind of thing and um we break it even further down because there are multiple spaces there like oh this is a space where there's a candle burning on this space and there's some herbs sitting here and it looks like some glitter and oh he must be doing some sort of magic here that's all that gets to go on that space if there's stuff on it that looks like it's being used. Nobody puts anything on that because it, it's being used. And so, like, we have that rule in our family now. And you can usually tell what kind of magic if you know our style. Like, if there's a crystal there, Rune's probably doing some sort of protection magic. Um, you know, he might be doing something anchory or something, like, to channel power into a, another spell. But whatever it is... Nothing goes on to that unless we want it worked into that spell. We'll leave it alone, that kind of thing. Whereas, like, if there's a candle burning or something like that, you can tell by the color what the spell probably is. If you, like, in our family, we know what the others are doing. And so we don't mix and match. We never mix and match. There's plenty of room in the house, and we've 
we bought the house with that intention so there's never a reason for us to do that and there are plenty of flat services if we ever have to use them um and all of the junk spaces are potential altar spaces we'll just clear them off clean that junk up and then use them for an altar space and then that place is sacred until we're done with it um yep temp altar space is always fun yeah because you can do that um for me i use my altar space not just for magic mostly i use it for religious purposes like this is a space i'm putting together to say hello to my spirits and, and to the spirit beings that that i venerate and that i love and tell them hello and i love you and thank you for stuff and you're awesome and here look i bought you this new thing isn't this cute that kind of thing so i put those things together like i do those all the time like they're everywhere in the house like it's actually kind of sad when i have mundane people come over to this house because they step into the living room and they like their hackles immediately go up because there are dolls all over the place and when i say dolls i don't mean like uh like i don't know porcelain dolls or anything that would be creepy no like stuffed animals you know like pokemon little action figures but they're all looking at you they're all awake like everything in this house is fucking awake and so they walk in and they're just like whoa and I'm like, hey, welcome. Come sit down at the couch. And they sit down and they turn to their right and there's like a, I don't know, like a Pikachu sitting there or something. <laughs> They're like, huh. And it's all like innocent and friendly, but it doesn't feel like that at all. Because <laughs> the spirits are awake and they're like, who is this? Did you? Why did you bring this person here? So I get to have like the strangely haunted house that looks like it belongs in a video game. You know? Yeah, I have a, a entity who's very active, and their little statue on one of my altars ends up on the ground sometimes, and I know that that's when... Right, they're like, uh, we want to alert you of a thing. So another thing that I do, like my altar spaces are specifically for slow work and for long distance work. So if I have to do magic work that's going to last for a while, I set up an altar for it. And if I have to do magic that's supposed to reach long distance, the altar space allows me to easily manage the sympathetic magic ties. So I can just sit things down and do the thing and I don't have to just, I don't have to rely upon my regular spell casting abilities to do all the legwork. It's a lot easier, it's a lot more simply controlled, um, it's a lot more easily influenced, that sort of thing. Um, especially if I have to reach long distances, like if I wanna do a spell to heal you, because we don't live in the same city, um, if I want to do a spell to manipulate the weather, if I want to do a spell to uh, influence something across time, I use an altar space because they're controlled spaces where the rules conform to my will, and I have the ability to use that space more easily without having to kind of like do all of the work myself, like my like a one-man band where it's like I've got the the symbols attached to this foot, and I've got the whistle attached to my mouth, and I've got the the other things attached to this hand and you know that kind of stuff <laughs> and the drums attached to my ass you know that's it's easier when you have an altar to do complicated work and so that's what i use mine for yeah um one thing that i really like having my altar for is that i can kind of just put something on there at any time yeah um, it's convenient I'd I described to you, it to you earlier as having kind of like a, a kitchen that's already always ready for magic. Mm-hmm. 
Um, it, it's uh, it's like a stovetop that's always hot, and I can always put something on a burner and just kind of keep it going as long as I'm managing the space right, right. And making sure that things aren't boiling over or, you know, you you don't want to like if you're if you have an oven, you can bake two pies at once, but you can't like bake a dessert and a savory thing at the same time a lot of times right. because the flavors will kind of mix it'll be mix. really weird and then it's not any good yeah and so it's like you know, it's kind of the same with these these spaces like i have a lot of spaces set up for different kinds of magic so that i can i i can make sure that i'm not mixing up like um like war affecting political magic and love magic <laughs> right exactly but and because they aren't the same thing, I I know that all's fair in love and war, but they aren't the same thing. Yeah, like you know, war affecting political magic is not very romantic in my opinion. Right? It's not. Why are so it's many not. like war stories centered around a love story? I'm like, no, I'm not into uh, it. Not into it. <laughs> anyway, show me good fashion. So, those are some reasons why we put together altars. I tend to be more temporary with my altars. I do have some permanent ones, but I tend to be more temporary with mine because I don't like clutter. And I, we are cluttered in this house, and so I have a tendency to kind of walk around and kind of like be the maid and clean things up. Um, so like my altar spaces, I tend to clean them up. But then I'm absent-minded, so they end up being like... if I, I know that if I leave them and I don't tidy them up after I'm done using them, then they will end up being piles of junk. And that's not a good plan for magic. So um, that's for me. Uh, I don't have any stable altars for specific kinds of work, but some of my family members do. Um, I have a stable altar set up for work that I do specifically with you, Felix, as you know. Um, and then I have an altar for, uh, I have a family altar set up that is designed for family rituals that we participate in, which means any of our traditional rites, any of our little smaller family holiday rites, that kind of stuff. That's what those are, and that's all it's for. And then the rest I set up and take down as needed. But I went over to you, I was at your place, and you have fabulous altars that are just constantly running magic, and it's super fun. Yeah, I will say that like a lot of the stuff that you saw, I'm now going to be taking down because Aww. I've decided to like, well, I've shifted some stuff over into a different space entirely, and so it's just gotten rebuilt, or I've decided to focus my efforts into in in. It's like the same efforts, but I'm focusing them in different ways, and so like you know, one altar is going to become like three different smaller altars these other places. Right for like a kind of vague explanation and some of it is because I'm taking that space and I'm making it cat accessible and the altars I had before just won't work like that. Right. They just won't. Right. <laughs> so, well, that makes sense. So, it's, there, yeah, there's just it's all getting changed. I still like them though. I really liked them. It's um and it's just like um I actually often use memories of my altars as kind of a bookmark for like where I was in life at that point. That makes sense. Because they've, they've changed over time, and it's often in response to things that are going on in my life. Well, yeah, the altar reflects what's, what you see, both inside and out. Okay, well, I think that we have covered kind of a lot of material at this point. We have. So I think everybody has had a lot of that, and they probably are tired of hearing us tell them what to do. Which let's answer their precious questions. Yes, let's let's move into our divination and consultment, uh, consultation segment, a.k.a., 
Celtic Crosshairs, where we show off how awesome we are by answering questions from our clever and beautiful and lovely and wonderful and generous fans. And when I say generous, I don't mean donate, although feel free, I guess. I don't. How would you even do that? I don't know. Anyways, but first, Felix has some info for you, so lean close to your altar and pray for our guidance. So, if you want to send in questions and comments and also see what the latest news is with the podcast without having to worry about the lag, then you can go to circleassaultpodcast.tumblr.com. And when I say the lag, I mean we don't really know when an alt- when a uh, podcast is going to go up. Yep. Um, because it's hard. It's just so hard to be adults. <laughs> it's so hard. And that's basically what's happening. So, we're trying our best and we're getting it done. Um, and so, um, you can also join our Discord channel, um... Which is completely quiet right now. It's like a, like a ghost town. Do we want to give people directions to it? Well, all you have to do is contact me, Rune, Emerson, uh, contact me on my Tumblr or any of the other methods that you have access to me through, or just through the Circle of Salt's Tumblr, and let me know that you want to go to the Discord, and I will get you an invite, because uh, we don't have a static invite set up. I am a gatekeeper, and I don't like to give those out, so <laughs> I never know who's going to use them. So we like to do it one-on-one. So just let us know that you want a, an invite, send an ask or a message or something to us, and we will gladly get you invited to it. Yeah. Well, there you go. That is how you do. Yes. Um and we also have a presence on Second Life. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing goes with that. Um, in ordinary circumstances, we're usually there at least like like I log in like twice a week. Yeah, I've um, I've been trying to get there more often. Yeah, but we tend to be there. So like, if you guys want to come in and talk to us, we're always there. We and like even if we're remote, like we're not there, we get our messages. So you know. If I don't talk, it's because I'm still trying to figure out how to, like, take off my superhero outfit. It's true. We still haven't figured that out yet. (laughs) So in either of those locations, you can chat up about current and future episodes, bring up future episode topics, and plot the overthrowing of the Magical Congress, which we're always doing. Exactly. God damn it, President Rowling. That's actually creepy. (laughs) Okay, so let's get started. What deck are you using today? I'm using the Animantras Chakra Oracle deck, which is um, made by Katie Welsh. Yes. And it has these, there are these tiny cards that are like, if you've ever had like a mini deck of playing cards, it's like that size. Yeah, they're little. And there's like a whole ton of them, and there's all these little different animals, and um, it, everything says like, um, there's a lion that says be brave, and there's a bee that says be delicate. Oh, that's really cute. That says, be helpful. And so it, everything is a guidance that's basically telling you, like, you know, how you should be in response to something. So I'm going to have to, you know, frame things a certain way. Um, and also this is a, like, one of those very positively oriented decks, as it were. Yes. Um, and, but and there's Katie, also some... Our friend Katie made them, and we love her. Yes. Uh, she actually gave these to me Aww. as a gift, and... Um, they um, always help remind me that, like, there's people in my life who care about me and that, like, there's people out there, like, in in the art world and stuff who are super cool. Yes. <laughs> and she's definitely one of them. All of the people from 78 Tarot are. Yes. So we wave to all of you. We love you guys. Uh, Joanna, we love you. We love you, Trish. We love all of you. And, and we love you, Katie. Uh, you guys are awesome. Okay, so 
let's do the thing. Uh, the, the deck that I am using was designed by uh, Raven Gramasi and Stephanie Taylor. Um, and the artwork is designed by Mickey Mueller. Uh, it's the Well-Worn Path and the Hidden Path. I got them both when they came out and I combined them because they are supposed to be used together. And so I have them both. And um, I'm going to be using them because they're basically designed around witchcraft as seen through Raven Gramasi's eyes. And so they're kind of like Wiccan-y and they're kind of like Strega-y and stuff. But like half the cards are a freaking altar. So I was like, this is the altar episode. So of course we're going to use that. So that's what I'm using. Yeah. And also I'm using these um, to tie it back into the altar stuff. These actually stay on my work altar um, because they're uh, from the professional world. Um because they're art friends. Right. Um, and so they're a big reminder in my professional life and my work life of, like, these great people. Of community um, and creativity and just wonder in the world. Yeah, and so I really like just putting all of that into um, my my work, and so it's on my work folder. Awesome. Uh, so that's that's why it's uh, altar-related. Yes, we're using, the, we're using things that are altery. Okay. So let's get started. The very first question that we have. Let me take a look. All right. So the first, oh, the first question is not a question. It's a comment. Um, and this person says, I'm calling them Truth Seeker. Uh, Welcome back to the Land of Podcasts. How was your extended break? Oh, aren't you sweet? <laughs> You're right. Honey, thank you for being nice is what I'm going to say to you. Because like, uh technical difficulties coupled with personal life drama in each of our worlds uh, does not equal a break of any sort, but you are so kind for treating it like something polite. I love you already. Okay, so the next question, the actual first actual question we have comes from Soulless in Seattle. <laughs> oh dear. My boss keeps trying to buy my soul, upping the offering price each time I see him so far, we're up to $1.79. What will his best offer be should I go for it? Oh. Okay, I'm going to tell you. Take his money. I'm I mean, I don't really understand exactly what is on the line here. Nothing is so... on the line. That's the whole point. This is very silly. So take his fucking money. See what happens. So what's 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 going to be the best offer? Okay. Um, well, uh, when it comes to getting the best offer, what should be your attitude? Since this is going to be be something advice. The card says, "Be wise, the owl." <laughs> um, <laughs> wow, I didn't realize your deck had a card in there that says be shady. <laughs> pretty much. Like there the, there's a heart at the in, in the owl's middle. Yes. So it, it it is actually also thinking with its heart. Um really think about what it's worth. Um it, know whether it's best to take this offer at all. Like know whether this is good this is something that will all be taken as a joke or whether not like <laughs> right so my cards are giving me some weird ass answers which is to be expected from a deck that's entirely designed around which is mysteries um i've got the old ones i've got an inverted sacred site and i've got a wheel of the year um so literally the message is be patient um they also say use your discernment and you will know when the time is right if it ever is 
So they were actually being like sincere. I'm going to tell you to take his money, though. I mean, he can't take anything from you. He wants to buy your soul. Too bad. <laughs> I mean, have you played The Price is Right or anything like that? Or like, <laughs> not played The Price is Right, but like watched The Price is Right? Like, y you need to understand how to hold out for a good price. Absolutely. What's behind door number two? All right. So the next question we have, which is asked by Scarborough Fair. And she says, hello, your podcast is great, and thank you for doing it. I love you too, sweetie. Thank you. Um, that was such a nice thing to say. Could you offer some guidance on where to put my energy for the next step of my professional life? I'm an artist and at a crossroads in whether to invest my time and resources into developing designs for purchase, learning how to do video game art, or hauling my art around to shows and conventions. I know I need to narrow my focus or I won't make any real progress. I look forward to your insights and thanks again. This, I, okay, so Felix, I think you should take the lead on this one. I've got a great deck for this. Oh, good. Yeah, because this is like the whole, like, so I'm just going to cut this well, Also, deck. you literally do this for a living. Yeah, that also as well. I'm going to get to that after I do the reading. I So one of the things, and this is kind of like, here's some free advice as a reader um, to the audience. Um, if somebody asks me a question as a diviner and it's something that's in my professional area of expertise, I do the reading first and then I give my professional advice. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Um, because it helps me figure out which, where I should focus that advice. But like, also I'm being paid to do the reading instead of being paid to give professional advice in that area. Mm -hmm. Um, and so th th those are two di totally different things. Yeah. So, um, what the card says is, be delicate, the bee. Mm. You got the bee um, already? I love that. I love the bee, the, the, the bee for the cards because it's a bee and you're, yeah. It's beautiful. Um, and so, um, this is the, the purple chakra with the little three symbol on it. Um, I don't know anything about that yet. The purple, if it's purple, purple has to do with the higher self and the and the crown chakra. Okay, there we go then. Wait, does it have the little squiggle coming out of it? It's got two petals. It's got like antenna type squiggles and two petals. Cause, okay, because there's indigo as well. So hold on a second. Just a second. I think this might be indigo. I think this is indigo because there's. Another I was gonna one say that's, that's about vision and sight. The like the the crown chakra is about connecting to the higher, like to the great sacred and and Shaktipat and so on and so forth, but it's also like it's about transcendence and letting go of your ego. Yeah. Whereas the wanna... indigo is about psychic vision and insight, perspective. I want to mention that the bag itself actually has all of the different little chakra symbols that have all had little animal attributes added to them. That's why I said little antenna squiggles. <laughs> um. Because, like, you know, the uh, the one that's a triangle, it has little fox ears and tail. Oh, that's blue. so freaking cute. Yeah, and so all those things are happening. And that's all in the little bag that it came in. So I just looked at that to figure this out. And the only reason I even mentioned that, by the way, is because I just want to, like, tell people about this tech. Yes. <laughs> but, yeah, so the bee, be delicate. Um you need to think about your creative self first and what your creative self needs and think about which of these paths you should pick to serve those needs 
first because if you don't nurture that then you're not going to be able to keep on doing that as a professional like it's you're going to freeze up at some point right so if you, you're doing this as a creative thing if you do it too much focused on like which one's going to make me the most money pick the one that's because you can make them all make money then right Everyone can pick out a formula for making money. Right. I guarantee you, you can pick out a great formula for making money with no matter what thing it is that you pick to do, but you need to pick it according to what your creative self really needs um, and to protect that creative self because um, otherwise you're not going to be able to do this long term. Uh, you're going to experience a kind of creative burnout at, at some point. Okay. Um, and I can say that from experience, like I've tried all kinds of different ways of pursuing um, doing this professionally and the ones that work the best are the ones that like really um, make you feel great as a, a creative professional. Um, and sometimes that's just not the stuff that people are telling you are going to make the most money. Right. That makes sense. And don't get don't get guilted just you know protect your delicate self there you go be delicate be a snowflake it's okay Aww. <laughs> okay so um i will add to this only in my pithy little way because i am not an expert on this at all so i'm just going to draw a card um and i got uh the card letha summer solstice so remember when you choose this, no matter why you choose it, you will choose it for the most optimum outcome and there will always be darkness that comes afterwards before it returns to bright. Keep that in mind. I don't know why, but they said so. So there you go. It is good to focus on your goals. Right. Okay, so the next question we have comes from a magical girl who I am calling uh, Bishojo Senshi of Ultimate Strictness. And her question is, why is my mentor spirit so focused on tidy space? And then we have another <laughs> question that comes from her mentor spirit. And her mentor spirit says, why is my apprentice like this? <laughs> All right. So let's, I, so my first request is that we address these questions one at a time. <laughs> okay. Let's go to the first one first and we'll address that second okay, one. Okay, cool. After. All right. So, oh, that's interesting. Okay, I'm going to answer this one first. So, to ultimate strictness, sailor strictness, um, I have the first answer is the key, which literally means the key to it all, like the secret key that if you don't have it, you can't enter. Um, and it's inverted, which literally means he's trying to teach you a thing. He's trying to teach you a secret, a way to kind of unlock stuff. And then we have Lunasa and the Sun inverted, which specifically says that um, sacrifice is always necessary for greatness. But you're so focused on the idea of this eternal power source that's just going to kind of do what you want and radiate to you and be something that you venerate that you're not paying attention to the movements and changes. And you need to. So that's the first answer that I have. What do you got, Felix? So the card that I got in regards to this is the crab. And <laughs> be crabby. It's a very happy little crab with two little claws that are all up to be pinching. And it says, be tenacious. Aha. And um, let me see what it is telling you to be tenacious in regards to. 
pinching people in their booty. And that, it says the rhinoceros be strong. Oh, be tenacious in growing your strength. Yeah, I think that this is one of those ways in which um, you are being given a challenge to be able to grow in a certain way. Um, there are times when I have actually gotten really sloppy with my altar, and whenever I finally address the situation, um, a lot of my moment in addressing that situation and actually cleaning up the space and like assessing just how bad it got is talking to the spirits that you know are in charge of that space and like being honest about like why it got like that and how we can keep that from happening again maybe um and like a lot of times actually the conversation is about like me realizing that it's okay <laughs> <laughs> um because like you know if you do actually have a mess of your personal space it's okay um it you know, it's your space. I don't um, think it's okay for your mentor spirit, though. I don't think it's okay for your spirits. Um, I think they're like, it's not okay. But, but what I'm saying is, <laughs> if it got to that point, it's okay that it got to that point. You can move on from here. You can clean it up and still feel okay with it yourself for having yeah, gone Yeah, like, don't, don't guilt yourself over this. It's not worth it. Just clean it up and move on. Yeah, it's not about guilt. It's just about cleaning. Just use it as an opportunity for growth. There you go. Um, and because, be tenacious and then pinch you yes. in the butt. Yeah, and be tenacious. Like, you know, if anyone in any vicinity tries to kick you when you're down about this, then be tenacious. Use your crab claws. Yes, pinch him in the butt. And then bonk him yes. with your horn because you're also the rhinoceros. So in question number two. Yes, the question that we got from the mentor spirit, who I am referring to as Popo, uh, for reasons that I will not explain, uh, he asked, why is my apprentice like this? Um, so I got the familiar spirit, the priestess and the priest, and then I got between the worlds inverted. So here's the thing, Popo. Your apprentice is interested in service, but she wants to know how to do stuff. You're supposed to be guiding her you're supposed to be this otherworldly being that guides her, and she's not looking for extra work unless she can see that it is something that is helping. So that is why she is the way that she is. So that is what you need to focus on. So I've got to give a commentary on this before I get too before you far. Say what it is. Um, I don't pay a whole lot of attention to chakra stuff because it's not really within my practice. Sure. Um, I do interact with them sometimes because so much of the guidance out there for how to like you know clear yourself up in a orderly procession is based around some sort of chakra-like framework. Right, or like Buddhist transcendental meditation or something. Yeah, and so it's like I'm familiar with that, um, but. Uh, both of the cards that I drew out before were red, and they're the root chakra, and the one I just drew is also the root chakra. <laughs> uh, so take from that what you will. Um, root around in that, if you will. <laughs> yes. Yes. <I'm> <laughs> um, the advice to Popo is be watchful, and this is a bird. Um, I think it might be a crow. Interesting. Uh, it's a, 
it, it is definitely not a parrot or something. Um, and this this is an interesting one. Um, it's not a hawk. It's 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 a crow or a raven. <laughs> the thing is, um, I think that the the guide entity here is in a situation where they are in an opportunity to learn as well. Um, that makes sense. And so now is a good time to watch your um, person that you are tutoring and like learn like what is their deal. Um, I actually had uh, a couple of times where I had to talk with the court about why it was I was acting like I was acting because I have emotions that they don't and I have them in ways that they don't because I have chemicals and they don't. Right. <laughs> And so sometimes I actually would have to explain to them, no, I'm going to stay angry because my brain is like this, and we need a different way of encouraging me in a different direction. Right, you can't just bully us out of our emotions. Yeah. Um, like, I can't just start feeling different, and apparently my tarot deck doesn't have any good cards that don't s make that suggestion. <laughs> gotcha. And so... Um, we would have problems where they wouldn't know how to really help me because they weren't quite familiar with the emotions I was having. That um, and like why they were doing what they were doing and what was going on inside my head. Once I explained to them what was going on inside my head though. It helped and they understood. Um, it helped a lot. I was like, no, the reason why I'm obsessing over this is because and if I found a, go a place to go just like somewhere alone and talk about that out loud, it helped a lot. Hmm. Um, but even just finding a place like where I can't talk aloud, but I can just kind of think it in my head for a while, like, you know, bathroom stall or something, um, like also helps because sometimes I can talk with them about it and they're like, oh, is that what the shit's going on with you? Well, because while there is this kind of telepathy that like a lot of spirits can do that doesn't, that make doesn't them, necessarily mean that is, they can't read every single part of yeah they're mind. not omniscient <laughs> yeah and so even if you have like a certain thought that's backing all of this they can't necessarily hear that you really need to give them that information so all of the advice i just gave was actually to the human um <laughs> because um, the spirit is basically being told, hey, just pay attention. So your, your spirit is basically on watch now. Good. So start communicating. Yeah. That's it. And that's it for that. Okay, so we have one more question, sort of. So this is being given to us by Jacques the Frog. And they say, not really a question, but if you feel like it, I'd love to hear your thoughts on made-up deities, for want of a better word. <laughs> I made up, and these are in quotation marks, made up, all of the goddesses I worship, and it's not really something I hear talked about very much, so I'm very interested to hear what y'all think. Ooh, this is fun. This is rather fun. I really enjoy this. Um, I enjoy this question so much that we're probably going to end up doing a podcast about it. Yeah, uh, we we're going to need to do a podcast on this because I have also done this. Mm -hmm. So and uh, I, yeah, we, we we can talk all kinds of things about this. Well, and like one of my one of the things I'm going to leave you with with that because I I'm going to say this: all gods are made up. Every single one of them is made up. None of them. <sighs> if any of you out there think that there was a moment when someone walked out their cave and they looked and they saw this jar giant hulking beast. 
that walked by and they had definitive unarguable proof that that is a god and they started worshiping it that could happen but even then human beings interacting with deities has always been at least mostly subjective because of all the stuff we project upon our deities and they are not always there to agree or disagree with that particular projection your personal relationship with your deity is only part of what a deity is if you have a deity that is a goddess of wind and water and seafaring and wealth and um, she's also a goddess of wisdom and all of the secrets blown upon the winds and that's kind of her thing well guess what there are about 40 other deities in the world that do exactly the same thing and they have different names and different faces and different rules and they're all real the the fact that you're interacting with one that no one has ever interacted with before does not make them invalid and your whole i made them up did you make them up or did you discover them how do you know how do you know that you made them up how do you know that they didn't kind of like poke you and motivate you to talk about them the way they wanted to be talked about so much of that's why well, so much of witchcraft tradition in general is centered around that like the stories that we tell about the various gods that we work with are not the same the interpretation of hecate through england is not the same as the interpretation through of hecate through ancient greece in the beginning of her of her period of worship and her at the beginning was not the same as her at the end and there's a lot of difference go ahead sorry didn't mean to interrupt i was gonna say that's why we're gonna do a podcast on yes because we could talk about this forever yeah but we gotta stop but we gotta stop so all right so and i think that's kind of enough for tonight anyway don't you yeah we're gonna have to wrap it up yeah i think so too okay well um thanks once again to Sharon Knight and Winter for the intro and outro music. You can find their music at SharonKnight.net. That's Sharon, S-H-A-R-O-N, Knight, K-N-I-G-H-T, all one word, dot net. And their music is freaking awesome, and you should buy all of it, and then buy it again and give it to your friends. Yep. You should definitely do all of those things. Yes. I would love to do this forever, but I don't have enough gas in me to do it's it. It's true. We're, we get tired. But anyways. All right. Say bye-bye, Felix. Bye-bye. Good night, everyone. This is like a, a pet peeve I have that I don't really have to you know, a place to slide in anywhere, but I really hate the word spoopy. <laughs> you don't like the word spoopy? I, I enjoy it. <laughs> I only enjoy it in certain contexts, though. Like, if people are saying it and they are actually trying to be taken seriously, then they can't be. Like, it's the rules. Like, you called it spoopy, and that is the indicator that we should never take anything that you say for the next 20 minutes seriously. Yeah, they were not 
it it was like, oh, I'm going to say this with like you know this air of don't take me too seriously, but I still want to be kind of taken seriously. Right, and that's not acceptable. So uh, that's just not a thing. I'm kind of over here like, no, you say woo woo or woogie when you're trying to be taken seriously, but you don't really know what to say. You don't say spoopy because that's actually making fun of spooky things. And that's supposed to be a mockery word that you use to make fun of yourself to show that this is not serious. Words mean things. (laughs) 